start a series of messages entitled Kingdom DNA. Kingdom DNA. Here's the idea behind it. When you're born again, you enter into a new kingdom. The scripture says you're born again. You're born from above and by faith you enter now into a new kingdom. That kingdom is on the inside of you. It's in your midst. The outside world does not change. The inside world of the heart and the soul dramatically changes. Your value system, your goals in life are turned upside down. In the world, you're rewarded for certain kinds of behaviors that in the kingdom of God are not necessarily to your advantage. And in most cases are destructive. When you get born again, I remember I was born again at age 18 and I came out of darkness into light. I mean, it's like, I, I, words are not adequate to describe what happened to me in those days. And I think many of you have had the same experience. I knew about God in my head, trust me. You're a good Catholic, a good Lutheran, a good Baptist. You can know a lot about God up here, but it doesn't help the heart. And then one day by God's great grace and the spirit of election, your heart is touched and that knowledge downloads about one foot into your heart and you're born again. You're born from above. Colossians 1 and 13 says, for he has rescued us what a great word. He has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness. How many would agree with me that before you knew the Lord, darkness would be a pretty good word to describe your state of mind? Would that be right? Guilt, shame, unbelief, fear. This verse says, and he's rescued us from that, and he's transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son, Colossians 1 and 13. We have lost our old life in order to gain a new life. And once you get born again, what does that new life look like? Trust me, if that new life looks exactly like the old life, you probably don't have the new life. He said, oh, Dan, don't be judgmental. I'm not being judgmental. But when the heart changes, eventually words out of your mouth, attitudes, perceptions, things that you love have to change. So when you come into the kingdom, what does it look like? Well, what it looks like is the Sermon on the Mount. This is what disciples look like. Jesus gives five discourses in five sermons in the book of Matthew. This is the longest, the most known, the most powerful, and the most encouraging, but also the most unsettling. Some theologians would say that the Sermon on the Mount is not for today. Some would say the Sermon on the Mount is the way that you earn your way into heaven. That's not true. 
Some would say that the Sermon on the Mount is an eschatological ethic. This would be Albert Schweitzer who would say the Sermon on the Mount is the ethics that, are, that the church will have prior right before Jesus comes back, so forth and so on. If you're a spirit-filled believer that loves the Lord and we look at the Sermon on the Mount, we would say with all honesty, this is the kind of life I was created to live the Ten Commandments are full of thou shalt nots, thou shalt nots, thou shalt nots, thou shalt nots. The Beatitudes, which we're going to look at in just a moment, are all about you shall be, you shall be, you shall be, you shall be. No threats, no imperatives, no ought to's or have to's. Statement of facts, indicatives, and everyone tied with the promise. You're going to get this, 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 you're going to get this. Eight times you're going to get this. Ten commandments don't tell you what you get. It simply says, don't you commit adultery. Don't you steal. Don't you take the Lord's name in vain. Jesus takes those commandments and he drives a little bit deeper, saying, let me talk to you a little bit deeper about these things. He says, when you get born again and you're in the kingdom, you're going to have a different set of ethics that are going to be born of my spirit and you're going to have all these rewards accompanying those blessings. Everybody with me? So today's message is entitled, First Sermon in a Series, Jesus Culture. Why is it entitled Jesus Culture? Because Jesus embodied the Sermon on the Mount. He taught it, he lived it, he proclaimed it, and he had power to back it up. He embodies the kingdom, if you will. So we're going to talk today, what does a Jesus culture look like? What is the DNA of the kingdom? If you're with me, open your books, your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, what's happened thus far? Jesus has gotten born. John the Baptist has come. Jesus has been baptized in water and by the Spirit. He's gone into the wilderness, been tempted of the devil. He's now come out of the wilderness in the anointing of the Spirit. Boom, now we're at the end of Matthew chapter 4. He's starting to pick out his disciples. And he's now being announced in all the area. And he comes on the scene as a rock star. He's been quiet and hidden for 30 years. Now the Bible says he is proclaiming there is a kingdom at hand. Are you in it? You can't be half in the kingdom. You can't be half born again. You're either in or you're not in. How many today would say you're in? Raise your hand. Praise the Lord. Verse 23. And Jesus went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. Do you see that phrase there, the gospel of the kingdom? He's proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So he's teaching, proclaiming, and healing. This is the kingdom. Teaching, proclaiming, and healing. I want to talk about healing in just a second, but the proclaiming part... You see the word gospel there, euangelion is the word for good news. He's not proclaiming that you have to believe that he's going to die and resurrect from the dead. You know, the traditional gospel. He's not did that yet. He's not done that yet. This word gospel here, 
might be better translated, he went about proclaiming good news. There's good news. The kingdom of heaven is now breaking in to the kingdom of earth. Are you in it? Do you want it? It's available to whosoever will. So he's proclaiming a kingdom. And the Bible says, and he's healing every disease and every affliction. Goodness gracious. He's healing every. Oh, there's some kind of cancers God can't heal. Oh, there's some kind of brain disorders God can't heal. Oh, there's some kind of blood problems that God can't heal. He says he healed every disease and every affliction. Why? He's modeling the kingdom that has now arrived. So his fame spread throughout all of Syria. By the way, did you pray for Syria today or announce we're taking an offering for Syria next week? Keep Syria in your prayers. 25 million dead and counting. And they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains. Let's pause there. He brought every, they brought everybody that had diseases and pains. Yeah. <laughs> I got a little arthritis in my hip. Come to Jesus. Yeah. I got this little light headache. Come to Jesus. He heals all the pains. I have a mother-in-law that such a pain. He says, oh, I can change her heart just for you. Those oppressed by demons. What happened to demons today? Elder John, what's happened to demons? 40% of Jesus' miracles, he's casting out demons. Now, we got Pentecostals everywhere praying for the sick. What happened to demons? It's kind of like it's not socially acceptable, therapeutically legal to cast out a demon. Hey, pull down the shades, lock the door, and cast the demon out. Hey, that's the kingdom. Jesus said this, when you cast out a demon, it's been cast out by the finger of God, for the kingdom of God has come near you. Now you say, oh, Pastor Dan, you're talking about rolling on the floor and your eyes going back in your head. Not necessarily. I'm just talking, hey, listen to me. If you're a Christian today and you're spirit-filled, most of the time you crowd out demons. Sometimes you have to cast them out. But you can crowd them out. Hey, they're not like hanging around you if you're worshiping all the time. Crowd those suckers out. I'm on a roll. I said the word sucker, so it's downhill from here. <laughs> healed those oppressed of demons and having seizures, paralytics, and he healed them. Wow. All kinds of neurological disorders, Jesus has power over those. As a church, sidebar, we will pray for every malady we don't care what the doctor or the medical professions say. We partner with them to help people. But we know there is a realm that only God can move in. And we leave it in the hands of God. We don't play God. We just do what his word said. These signs shall follow them that believe. They shall lay hands on the sick and oh, they might recover. 
they shall recover. Is anybody sick among you? Let them call upon the elders of the church. They will anoint them with oil. They will pray the prayer of faith. And God, if he's in a good mood, might raise them up. No, it says God will raise them up. You might say, well, I don't know if I believe that. Well, that's evident. Start believing it. Start praying like it. And be surprised when it doesn't happen. Like, oh my, what, you got healed? Holy moly. No, like, the kingdom of God has come. It's in our midst. We're in the kingdom now. You're citizens of heaven, folks. You get some of the blessings of heaven now, not all of it. Certainly, we can get rid of a few demons and heal a few bodies. It says, and great crowds followed him from Galilee, Decapolis, Jerusalem and Judea and beyond the Jordan. The kingdom of God is attractional. It draws great crowds. Chapter 5. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them. Pause. Seeing the crowds. Several thousand are following him at this point. He went up on the mountain. The imagery is of Moses, a type of Christ, goes on the mountain of Sinai and receives the Ten Commandments in stone. Jesus is ascending a mountain by the Sea of Galilee. And there he is giving a far deeper teaching on the kingdom than the Ten Commandments could. He's sharing the heart of God for his People. And the Bible says he sat down to teach. Rabbis sat to teach. Preachers today all stand. At the time of Jesus, if you were rabbi, rabbi means teacher, you sat. He sat down saying, I am a rabbi, I'm a teacher, I am bringing you today some good news. And the Bible says he begins to preach. He's got his disciples right here, I imagine. And then he has the hundreds, maybe thousands sitting beyond and he begins to share with them what this kingdom looks like, the ethics of this kingdom. It's an ideal. Some people say there's no way you can live up to this ideal. I think that's just unbelief. It is how people are to relate to each other. Not nation to nation. Civil government is under a different sphere of authority. It's talking about in the kingdom, how we relate to people, how we interact, how we think, how we behave, how we process it's called the Sermon on the Mount. So he begins to teach. Verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, the, king, the word kingdom of heaven and the word kingdom of God is interchangeable. Matthew uses the phrase kingdom of heaven because he's writing it to Jews. Jews have trouble with the name of God. So instead of saying kingdom of God, he says kingdom of heaven as a synonym. It's not dis, there's no uh, dispensational difference between kingdom of heaven and kingdom of God. They're the same thing. So he's sharing what the kingdom of God is like. He says blessed. The word blessed here is a word in the Greek. It's the word makarios. And it means, among other things, to be made happy. Happy or these people, and then there's eight Beatitudes describing what happy people look like. 
I'm going to tell you, it's kind of upside down. Happy are the prosperous, happy are the healthy, happy are when you marry the dream boy and you have the dream kids with the dream job, happy. Now, God's not against those things, but it doesn't say that in the Beatitudes. It's talking about some kingdom qualities of the heart. Now, the word makarios, happy, is, is the Greek word that also means to congratulate. So it could say, congratulations to you. You are poor in spirit and you get the kingdom of God. You get the kingdom of heaven. What is the kingdom of God? It's righteousness, peace, and joy. You get peace and you get joy because you're poor in spirit. I want to just sit, talk just a second longer about the word blessed. I'm sick and tired, if you will, of commentaries. The word makarios means happy. And they want to say this. Now, it's not like just happy. It's deeper than happy. It's more like joy. It's a deeper quality, divorce, divorce, divorce from your circumstances. You may or may not even feel it. It's a quality of the heart deep within the soul of man. I'm going blah, 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 blah. I like the word happy. What's wrong with Christians being happy? No, I'm dead serious. You're not doing God no favor by walking around all day unhappy. Who wants that? Oh, tell me about your Jesus. Are you kidding me? Unhappy people are a drag. Hey, let's invite a bunch of unhappy people to our Super Bowl party today. Hey, you unhappy people, why don't you sit right up here by the television set? Put on some Kansas City shirts. What I'm not saying is circumstances are always good. Some days, the happiness is hard to find. But if you're born again and your ticket is punched to heaven and the train is sure to come, you've got something to be happy about. Happy. Happy are the poor in spirit. It doesn't say happy are the poor. Poverty and I disagree with Roman Catholicism in this, poverty is not a virtue. If poverty was a virtue, you wouldn't try to help people get out of it. When somebody's really poor, the first thing a Christian feels is, can I give my brother a hand? Can I lift my sister up? It's saying a poverty of the spirit. What's a poverty in the spirit? It means you know you're morally bankrupt without God. There's nothing of value within you apart from what God gives. When you get saved, hear me today. You know, when we get our kids, when, when God saves our kids or God saves people in new life, I want them to really get saved. Amen. This doesn't really help people. Is your marriage in trouble? And you don't know Jesus? Come down to the altar and let's pray for your marriages. Okay, that's not bad, that's good. But that doesn't get anybody saved. How many want to be blessed today? Come to the front. God's here for you. He wants to, that doesn't get anybody saved. Getting saved requires an acknowledgement that you need to be saved. I am a sinner. Yeah. Turn to your neighbor and say, mm-hmm. Yeah, I know that's true. I'm a Christian. I'm no longer a sinner. Eh. You're a saint, but you're also a sinner. 
That sin is going to nag at your heels till the day you go to heaven. So salvation is this, Lord, I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. Jesus, I put my faith in who you are and what you've done. And you might say, well, Dan, I got saved in, in a, at a traumatic event. I just asked Jesus into my heart when all hell was breaking loose. And Does that not qualify? No, that qualifies, sure. But at some point, you have to reconcile that with you are poor in spirit. You don't, have, you don't really, you didn't do God a favor by getting saved. Like, I know there's all those rascals that got saved. When I come through the pearly gates, there's going to be a round of applause because God finally got a, a good one. There ain't no good ones. There's none righteous, no, not one. We all got some wages that were due that are the wages of sin. And what is it? It's separation from God. It's old-fashioned preaching to an old-fashioned gospel. And without the acknowledgement of sin, there is no gospel. Hey, you get saved. You get saved from something. What is it? Separation from God caused by sin. So blessed are the people who admit they've got a problem. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. The Amplified Bible says this of this beatitude. You're blessed when you admit you're at the end of your rope. Lord, I'm not worthy. Lord, I can't solve it. Lord, I'm not good enough to rescue myself. With less of you, there is more of God and his rule. Amplified Bible. How are we doing so far? Okie dokie. Second beatitude. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. There are seasons in our life where there's lots of mourning, for sure. And God says, be comforted. I know you're mourning. The Holy Spirit's going to help you. You're going to be comforted by him. I've not left you. I've not abandoned you. And there's the promise of heaven where there's no more pain, no more dying, no more mourning. But I think what's primarily in view here is that you're mourning over the brokenness of your own life and the brokenness of the world. There's something you look at things and say, this isn't right. This world is in trouble. This prodigal is in trouble. This situation without God is a mess and there causes a mourning. How many of you have adult children or relatives that things just have gone sideways at times and you just mourn? Oh, here's the good news. When you groan and you mourn, Romans 8 says, the Holy Spirit picks up on that mourning, mourning and groaning and intercedes on your behalf with groans too deep for human words. The Lord is close to those crushed in spirit. In other words, you're blessed when a broken world messes you up. It shows that you've got the heart of God and you want things right, loving, forgiven, set right. You're blessed when you feel that you've lost what is most dear to you. Amplified Bible. You're mourning a loss. Only then can you be embraced by the one most dear to you. 
Blessed are the meek. To be envied are the meek. Happy are the meek. Congratulations, you're meek. For they shall inherit the earth. You've probably heard this taught. Meekness is not weakness. Meekness is not being mousy. Meekness is strength under control in humility. Moses, the Bible says, was the meekest man on the earth. Jesus models meekness. Certainly he was not weak. He was under control. The word pros, which is the Greek word here, is a word that means opposite of violence or vengeance or aggression. The word pros in Greek, in other Greek literatures, use of a wild horse that's been tamed. So a bridle or a yoke could be, uh, could be put on it. That horse has been made meek. It's still powerful, but now it's been brought under control. It's the opposite of self-interest. Meek people have a special happiness. They're not just a bunch of silly folk that don't know the score. They're just a bunch of folk that are free from the, the torment of selfish ambition. More, bigger, better. More, bigger, better. More, bigger, better. Say, so I'm, I'm not on that treadmill anymore. I'm in the kingdom of God and I'm loved unconditionally as I am. I have the privilege over the last 15 years to work with emerging leaders. When I got to be in my 50s or so, uh, I had enough history in the pastoral ministry that I felt I had something to say. Before that, don't ask me to do a pastor's conference. I'm still trying to figure it out myself. But after being a pastor 25 years, I learned a few things. And I'll tell you what, one of the most dangerous things for emerging leaders that have the it. What's the it? The it is they're a good preacher or she's a good preacher. They're smart. They're, they're uh, attractive. Uh, they're magnetic. People love to follow them. They're funny. They carry themselves with a certain level of dignity. They command attention. I call it it. They have it. The problem when you, when you have it and then you believe that you have it is you act different. You act just a little bit elite. Like, you know, you got a little bit of a swagger. And you begin to walk with a sense of entitlement. Where's my parking space? Do I have some water? Please, I need some water. By the way, the pastors all have water down here. Sorry, folks. <laughs> they and they begin to drink the Kool-Aid. And when I see a young leader drink the Kool-Aid, I go, God forbid that they get promoted and they're given a big church or a big ministry. They sign a big record deal or a big book deal or they travel around and sing. I don't care if you sing from Maverick City. If you've got swagger, you really should step out of ministry because the swagger will eat your lunch. You may say, Dan, do you mean I shouldn't be self-confident? No, be confident. But not in yourself. Walk in your gifting, but with humility, man. Pastors can set up chairs. What parking spots should be saved by the front door? Parking spots for handicapped and old people. That's why we have one there for Melvin. 
both handicapped and old. He's the perfect, he's the, tr he's the trifecta of parking spots. <laughs> no, I'm teasing, I'm teasing, I'm teasing. Pastors, oh, hey, I went to this meeting once and there's this woman that uh, she's going to preach, right? She's Pentecostal, pretty good preacher too, really, to tell you the truth. And there's only about 40 people in her church and they're doing some kind of a conference. This is years ago. And I went to the conference. I, I was... Uh, blessed. So afterwards, I went up to shake her hand or say hi to her or whatever. She had like four guys standing around. These would be armor bear types, you know, uh, deacons, guys that protect her, care for her, love her, and so forth and so on. And I go up to shake her hand. And she said, I can't be touched because it dissipates the anointing. Thank you. I'm going... What in the, you have drank the Kool-Aid. You think you're walking by a set of different rules. Somehow you think you're God's gift to his church. Girl, I won't even let you teach Sunday school in my church. I'm sorry. I, I know that sounds harsh because it is harsh. With this, this swagger thing, and you know, we have a gullible church that swallows that crap up. The more, you know, the more she or he's got it, the more we flock to their meetings. I'm going... Ha! Ah, no, no, I want to go out to dinner with you and see how you treat the waiter. And I want your steak to come uncooked the way you don't like it. I want to see how you send it back to the chef. If you send it back with a little bit of attitude, I ordered a steak here, cost you $95. I'm going, I don't care. You know, listen, gifting is not character-based. God gives gifts. You can have it and still not be qualified. Woo, I really went there, there. Now, that might have been a bit harsher than I wanted to go, but, 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 but we're, we are, charismatics and Pentecostals are just crazy. They're just crazy. You know, like, like my water bottle's going to heal somebody. Are you kidding me? You probably catch a disease if you drink on it. If this is a Jesus culture. When you're blessed, excuse me, you're blessed. This is a indicative. This describes people in the kingdom in a Jesus culture. You're blessed when you're content with just who you are. Oh, friend, hear me today. Give it a rest. You don't have to get the perfect woman, the perfect job, the perfect situation, the perfect honor, the perfect this, the perfect that, the perfect that, to somehow get your act together. Be content. Now, there's a holy discontent. You, you want to improve in God. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about get off, get off the, the, the treadmill of grasping. No more, no less. That's the moment you find yourself proud owners of everything that can't be bought. Wow. When you're meek... You get it all. Somebody might, somebody's asked Pastor Kevin and I, how'd you guys ever do a multi-ethnic church? What's your strategy? Well, there was some strategy, but I'll tell you what, I'm from South Dakota. I got kind of a squeaky tenor voice. I'm not particularly handsome. You can touch the hem of my garment. 
I'm an ordinary guy. Pastor Kevin's from Long Island. Kevin's not a natural speaker. He's not natural on the platform. He comes out of black church. I come out of white church. How in God's name does this work? Well, a good portion of it is just humility. Tell me about your journey. No, you tell me about your journey. Tell me about your journey. No, you tell me about another journey. Meekness and humility always attracts God. I'm a husband, don't know what to do to get my wife in line. Just humble yourself, bro. Get on your knees and say to God, God, fix her. <laughs> Cast the demon out. I talked to you about that already. I'm, I'm going crazy here this morning. No, you say, God, I'm sorry, man. I just humble myself, God. It's not her fault. Lord, help me. Help me, Lord, not to be so arrogant. Help me not to be so short-tempered. Help me, Lord. Jesus, come into this marriage. That kind of humility tracks God. Okay. This room, this side of the room is clapping. Let me just continue. The last one today. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. The word for righteousness, diakosune, diakosune. In Greek, diakosune can be translated righteousness or justice, same word. So if you look in Greek literature, diakosune is most often translated justice. But because of the Bible, is so grounded in justification, the Pauline teaching of the gospel, the, the translators take diasukene and they translate it righteousness all the time. It's perfectly fair to translate it justice. I think this is one of those times. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for justice. Justice for others, justice for the disenfranchised, justice for the child, justice for the abused woman. Not thinking about justice for me, but seeking justice for my neighbor. As a Christian, it's not about me getting mine. It's about me helping you get yours. It's about empathy and helping. It's, it just comes with the territory, man. And so many poor people that finally make it forget other poor people. I go, what the heck is that, man? You should have a greater sensitivity. It's a hunger and thirst for righteousness, hunger and thirst for justice. We should never be happy wherever there's any injustice. And I don't care the color of the person, the gender of the person, the age of the person, the nationality of the person. Injustice is injustice. Y'all, you, just save your claps at the end. It'll be a nice big one right there at the end. <laughs> Hungering and thirsting. Have you ever been really, 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 really thirsty? Like you haven't had water for a whole day? Somebody could offer you 100 bucks. You say, I don't want that. I want water. Somebody could offer you 
you know, a trip to Disney World or something, I, don't want, I want water. Until you've been really, 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 really thirsty, you don't know what kind of thirst this is. It's like, if I don't have justice, I'm not going to make it. This is ravishing my soul, my body. It's a deep passion. And then when we have a hunger and thirst for justice, the Bible says, then you're satisfied. God takes care of you. Do I have time for one more? Hey, let's just forget Kempsville. <laughs> Blessed. If you're new today, I go from here to Kempsville and they wait on me to drive up, you know. I'm a pretty big shot over there. I pull right to the door. They usher me right to the platform. John, will you come back to church next week after all, after all this silliness, please? Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Oh, I love to, love to finish with this one. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. The greatest God quality you can have is showing mercy. God delights in showing mercy. It makes God happy when you give somebody a break. When you cover their sin with love and you let them off the hook. Now you prophetic types have got to begin to lead people off the hook. Every time they make a mistake, you don't have to tell them. Like you're helping them. Just forgive it and give some mercy. Ladies, when your husband is being a bear... Don't return in like kind. Give them some mercy for gosh sakes. Husbands, when your wife is just being a pill, give her some mercy. Don't hold them to account. How many of you want mercy? Do you want God to treat you like you deserve? No way, baby. I want mercy. The Bible says those in the kingdom love to give mercy. I was at a service one time friend came up, uh, this is in my previous church in South Dakota, a friend came up to me at the end of the message and said, Dan, I want you to know I forgive you. So I said, for what? Well, he couldn't really remember the for what. He just wanted to tell me he forgave me to put a whammy on him, on me that I had hurt him. It wasn't about forgiveness. It was about I want Dan to know that he did something to hurt me. I'm not going to tell him what it is, but that I have forgiven him. It was botched from the beginning to the end. What should have he done? Gone to God, locked the door, and say, God, I've been hurt by Dan. I forgive him and I cover it right now. I'm not going to put a yoke or a burden on him just to let him know that he hurt me. That's not normal living. As people in the kingdom, I let it go. You hurt my feelings, I let it go. You waited on this person ahead of me, I let it go. My spouse is just being a pain, I let it go. Now you say, Dan, do you, do you let sin go? I didn't say that. I didn't say that. You, you can, if, when you address sin, you can still do it in a merciful way. How do I address sin in a merciful way? I often start out by saying, you know, the Bible says... There's no temptation not common to man. And brother, hey, I, I've struggled with lust too. 
But you know this porn thing has got to, got to stop. It's going to destroy your marriage. Hey, listen, don't get full of shame right now. A lot of men struggle with that, but the blood of Christ can, 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 can help you. Hey, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm a hot-blooded male too. Moderately handsome, my congregation says. You see, I'm, I'm giving mercy to the guy. I'm giving the mercy to the guy at the same time and calling out his sin. There's a way to do it that gives mercy. Your children need mercy. Trust me, dads, your, your, your home needs mercy. Nobody should be afraid to talk to dad. Your dinner table can't be World War III where everybody's afraid of dad. You know, I'm the head of this. Forget the head of the house talk. Show some mercy. Show some mercy and see what God does in your home. Let's stand to our feet, shall we, Deep Creek? Well, I hope that you enjoyed our sermon today. I hope that you were inspired and challenged. And maybe you have a question about something that you heard in the message today, or maybe you need prayer. We would love to take the time to pray with you and answer any questions that you might have. All you need to do is simply send us an email to online at newlife.global and we would love to connect with you. Well, be sure to subscribe to our channel. You should see the link right over here somewhere and turn those notifications on. That way you are notified every single time we go live on YouTube. Well, God bless you. Have a wonderful week and we'll see you on the next video. Take care.